the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? How are you living in this fine lovely world we live in. I'm your host, Jake Johnson, and this is Untethered Live, and we are doing a Bible study tonight. It's Monday night. That means the great book of Samuel. If you got your Bibles handy, crack them open to 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 24. That's where we left off. That's where we're going to pick up. Hello, everybody. ATL Transparency, you get the gold star. You were waiting on us. Amanda, well, Amanda, welcome to the show. How is everybody? Y'all ready to do some babbling, some braining? Fab Daddy, what's up, buddy? Good to see you, my friend. Welcome to the show. Come on in. Take your shoes off. Grab a drink and sit a while. Mm. Tonight's episode is brought to you by this hot cup of coffee and the letter Q and the number 2.4579-3. ATL says, what was it about these old times that they could communicate with the divine? Well, it's very simple. The divine wanted to communicate with them. He does not anymore. That's the problem. We have disgusted him and turned our backs on him so many times that he just will not have anything to do with us at the moment. That will not always be the case, but it is the case at the moment. So, Back then, he was still trying. Back then, he was still hoping that they would turn back and do the right thing. They just never did. A generation would. But as soon as they had kids and they got a little bit away from God, they'd turn away from him again. It's almost like they couldn't remember what they learned previously. They didn't learn from their mistakes. Let that be a lesson to you all. Learn from your mistakes. When you screw up, own up to it. Admit it. Know you did wrong. Fix it. Care for yourself. Have a little self-worth, a little self-pride. And when you do something bad, make it right. It's called responsibility. It's called being an adult. Something this world is severely lacking, especially these days. But enough about me. Let's talk about you. Max Q. Yes, Fab Daddy. Max Q. Big Q. Big one. I think there is something more than that. They had an ability that we do not have today. No, they were just as human and just as fallible as we are today. The difference being the presence of God. Notice we don't have the Ark of the Covenant anymore, which was his mercy seat, which is where he came. Also, notice that there's a whole lot more not Jew people running around. 
than they used to be. A whole lot more mixed-breeded people. Back then, there were fewer people, more at stake, more families involved in what was going on, and God trying to establish his people who didn't seem to want it for whatever reason. They just kept screwing up. We got five books of them screwing up over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And him turning back to them every time. If they prayed to him, he'd go save them. If they'd turn away from their sin, he would bring them back up to prosperity. He would bring them back up to the top of the world. And as soon as they got there, they got overrun with debauchery and filth and perversions and, you know, all manner of idolatry and sin. And they just fall right back down into slavery again because that's where they belonged, unfortunately. The highest pressures upon a craft leaving an atmosphere, Max Q. Interesting. I thought it was two atmospheres. But what do I know? Because one atmosphere is the atmosphere, and to leave the atmosphere, you got to double that. It takes uh, 22,000 miles per hour to go against gravity. But again, what do I know? ATL says, of course, the same. They are still on the 120-year clock at this point. But they had some other attributes. Okay, if you say so. I, I've never read any attributes that they had, but I'm sure anything's possible. I watch SpaceX launches. SpaceX launches. I can talk. I'm not having a stroke. I forget what it was. Hmm. Well, there were definitely some people that had attributes that we don't have, but those people were bred with the fallen angels. Those people had attributes that humans don't have, but people have always been people. They always have been, always will be. Now, I think what you're referring to is prophesying, the ability to prophesy, to which I say you have that ability currently. You just don't use it probably because you're not communing directly with God. If he were to speak to you, I would imagine you would start prophesying. But that's just my thought on the subject. I don't believe in speaking in tongues or none of that nonsense. But I do believe that when the Holy Spirit lights upon you, you're liable to have conversations that you're not necessarily aware of. Last week had launches. Yeah, they've been doing a lot of work there at SpaceX over the past 10 years. They're trying to build a starship right now, so I would imagine they're doing lots of testing. I don't know that they will ever succeed at it, but they're trying. Elon Musk is the man, the man with the master plan, whatever that means. All right. Let's see. We got about two more minutes. The moon rover is almost there. Is almost there the Cheyenne 3? Cheyenne 3? Is that what you're saying? Cheyenne 3? Hmm. Well, that's fantastic. Somebody's got to go back to the moon at some point. That is, if you believe we ever been there in the first place. Starlink 
lost 40 satellites because of our atmosphere expanded because the sun and the rays, caused by the sun and the rays. Wow. Interesting. I might have spelt it wrong. Maybe. Oh, oh yeah, Cheyenne. S-C-H-E-Y-E-N-E, -E -E, I think it is. I used to know, but I've forgotten now. C-H-E-Y-E-N-E. -E. I think that's how you spell Cheyenne. I, I might be wrong, too. I don't know. Either way, it's kind of interesting that they're all of a sudden interested in going back to the moon. I think that's it's about time. I mean, we spent an entire two decades going, well, yeah, we went once. What do we do now? Science, is it bad? If it's a capital S science, yes, it's bad because that's an ideology that's not science. Science is repeatable and testable and, you know, you can do experiments and falsify results and peer review those results and have other people try to find the same results. That's science in any field. The minute somebody says those are the facts and you can't dispute them, you are no longer practicing science. You are now practicing a religion. And that, unfortunately, has taken over most sciences these days. And it's not very good. And I swear there's a hair on my microphone or something. Something's touching my face. I wrote that song. What do you think? But yeah, I, I wholeheartedly believe in science. In fact, Christians invented science. Science goes back to the Magi, to the time of Christ, to slightly before the time of Christ. It's actually the Muslims who started science and the Christians who invented the sciences, the different fields of science. And then the atheists took over. And in the 1800s, they had a meeting at Cambridge where all the big professors got together and they had a conversation about how to remove God from the academia because he was, quite frankly, making them all look bad. So they wanted to have absolute authority and autonomy over their own bodies and they wanted to be able to have their own sexual mores. This is all written in the minutes. You can go find it. It happened. And at that meeting in the 1800s at Cambridge with all the big professors, I don't remember the name of the meeting, but it the minutes are recorded and you can find them on the Internet. Uh, they made the decision to remove God from academia. And ever since then, science has been a capital S science, and it's not good. And it does fool you and lie to you constantly. Don't believe that. Have you worn a mask re recently? I'm just saying. A little paper mask to protect you from an airborne virus. Hmm. Don't think that works. <clears throat> Doesn't work with drywall dust. Wonder why it would work with a virus, which is microns smaller than drywall dust. I don't know. I'm no scientist. YouTube knows the answers. I do not. So science is different than science? Semantics. Sorry, Fab Daddy. Not semantics. I'll give you an example. You must get vaccinated. And get a booster. Three of them. Because if not, you'll catch COVID. That is capital science. Here is lowercase science. 
ivermectin works in vitro fighting all viruses. It is an award-winning drug that has been prescribed to people for hundreds of years. And a paper mask will not stop an airborne virus because it's smaller than the holes in the mask. And it'll just go right through. Not to mention the fact you have a wet spot right here from breathing in it. And you know what happens to wet spots? Things stick to it, which makes you more susceptible, not less susceptible. That's lowercase science. You see the difference? Fab Daddy says, I am guilty, and I did it to make other people feel better in my presence. Well, I don't care what other people think about in my presence. That's your business. What I think about is my business. I would never presume to tell you how to feel or what to think, nor would I expect you to do the same to me. But I do understand your reason for doing it. I don't agree with it, but I understand it, and you are not judged by me. So however you wanted to go about it, that's your business. Hence, I want to hermitize and leave all technology behind. Fab Daddy, that might be the smartest thing you've ever said. I think the world would benefit greatly if, if a big asteroid would just come and knock all the satellites out of the sky. Of course, I'd be out of a job. But I think overall, society would be better. I really do. I agree with you there. People always have expectations. It's ingrained. That is true. That is true. There are some people that can think their way out of a situation, and there are other people who react to a situation. And that's called mob mentality, and it's rampant. Everybody does it. Don't believe that. Start looking up the next time you're at a mall and see how long it takes for 10 or 12 other people to start also looking up. Just walk around looking up in the air. See what happens. It's a good social experiment for you. Pretty soon there'll be 10 or 12 people joining you because they want to be part of the crowd, and that's just a natural instinct, especially for women. Women are very social. They want to be part of the crowd. Men are less so. They're more object-oriented. Women are more home-oriented, more social-oriented. So this inherently causes an issue in big crowds of people, which is why I have no desire to go to a city, because they're crazy, all of them. All right. Enough about me. Let's talk about Bible. That's why we're here. Let's go down, shall we? All right. I need a book, though. How about that? There it is. If you got your Bibles handy, crack them open to the great book of Samuel. 1 Samuel, chapter 20, verse 24. That's where we left off. And here we go. So David hid himself in the field. Remember, David is hiding from Saul, and Jonathan is going to uh, send him a message coded message to let him know whether or not Saul's actually trying to kill him. Also, Jonathan wants to investigate to see if David's telling him the truth about his father. And when the new moon was come, the king set him down to eat, to eat meat. And the king sat upon his seat, as at other times, even upon a seat by the wall. In other words, the seat was against the wall, like most kings, because you don't want people behind you if you're the king. Not a good place to be. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. Well, you think? You've been trying to kill him for a week. Hmm. 
Nevertheless, Saul spake not anything that day, for he thought something hath befallen him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. This is the thoughts of Jonathan, noticing that his father did not mention the fact that his buddy David was not sitting by his side. David had a seat next to the king. Abner, his commander, is on this side. David is on this side, which is usually reserved for the right hand of the king or the prince or the, you know, head guard or whatever. Somebody high up in the king's court usually sits on the right-hand side. That was David's seat. The king never acknowledged that David wasn't there, which tells Jonathan something's wrong here. My father is not acting correctly. He should have at least asked, where is David? He didn't, which means he thinks something happened to David or he knows where David is. And it came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty, the second meal, the second feast. No David. Still, and Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet? Neither yesterday nor today. Now you ask, two days later, now you ask where David is? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, Let me go, I pray thee, for our family hath the sacrifice in the city, and my brother, he hath commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me go away, I pray thee, and see my brethren. Therefore he cometh not unto the king's table. Jonathan is lying through his teeth at his dad right now, but he, he's doing it to find out what his dad's response will be. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion? See, Jonathan is a little bit sweet on David. He's a, little bit, he's a prince that has been kept in a gilded cage, and he's probably sexually repressed and sexually confused because he spends his days around army men, big sweaty army men. Not to mention the fact that his mother's half crazy. So, his father knows what kind of boy Jonathan is, lighting the loafers. And he's calling him out in front of God and everybody in a very disrespectful way. Basically calling him gay in front of God and everybody. Right. Now, you may have to read into this, but that's what he's saying. Thou son of a perverse, rebellious woman. What is a perverse, rebellious woman? A woman who cheats on her husband. Probably not my son, basically. Do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to, their, to thine own confusion? Do I not know that you're sweet on Jesse? You're confused in the head about the son of Jesse, David? And unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness. Now, I've said this before. I'll say it again. And every time it happens, I'll point it out. The word nakedness in conjunction with a person is talking about having sex. To uncover thy father's nakedness is to have sex with his wife. That's what that phrase means in Hebrew. That's what this is saying. And unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness. You're confused because you didn't have a good role model. You watched your mom screw other people instead of me. 
and it confused you. That's what he's saying to, to Jonathan here. For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. Well, now Jonathan knows that his dad not only does not respect him, does not like him, but also that he's trying to kill David. Now he's, he's got the full understanding. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? Why would you kill him? What has he done wrong? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, his own son, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. Yeah, he just about killed his own son. Yes, he's going to kill David if he gets a chance. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. And it came to pass in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad with him, just like they talked about. And with tears in his eyes, he said, and when the lad was come to the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried after the lad and said, Is not the arrow, is not the arrows beyond thee? That's the code. That means run, David. And Jonathan cried after the lad. Make speed, haste, stay not. And Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came to his master, probably a little confused because the lad ain't in on it. He thinks the guy's yelling at him to go quickly, quickly, quickly. But what he's doing is telling David, run, make haste. Don't stick around. Get out of here. You're in danger. But the lad knew not anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his artillery unto his lad and said unto him, Go, carry them to the city. And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of his place towards the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept one with another until David exceeded. I'm going to let you fill in what that means. <clears throat> I will read it again, just so you know. And David fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. He's on his knees. They kissed one another and wept one with another until David exceeded. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For as much as we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Now what this means is, our families will be together forever. I know this sounds a little racy, but that's not what that means. The other thing, that is totally what that means. I don't know if that's exactly what happened or not, but trust me, that's what it means. This thing, the seed part, is about families being together. My children and your children will grow up together forever. That's what he's saying. Then came David to Nod, to Ahimelech, the priest, 
And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone and no man with thee? Notice he, he understands that he's usually with the king's court. He's not usually alone. He's kind of famous, actually. So Ahimelech is a little worried about David being there all by himself. And David said unto Ahimelech, the priest, the king hath commanded me to business and hath said unto me, let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee and what I have commanded thee. And I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. This is a lie. This is not true, but he doesn't want to give away his position by telling everybody who he is and where he is and who's after him. So let's let's call it an omission of truth. Now, therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread of mine in my hand or what there is pre present. In other words, I'm about the king's business. It's a top secret mission. And my servants are hidden all around. You'll never see them, though, because they're in such and such a place. But if you happen to have some bread, I'll take it. This is a bluff. He's hungry, obviously. <laughs> I wonder if the priest gets, picks up on this fact. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread, if the young men have kept themselves, at least from women. This is a little jab at David because he hangs out with Jonathan a lot. <laughs> what he's saying is there is showbread on the showbread table. It's it's for, you know, sacrament only. It's for when you do sacrifices, when you've been holy. He says, however, if you've kept yourself at least from women, caveat, you can eat, you can eat some of it because you can't be defiled when you go into the temple. That's the whole thing. And being with a woman is defiling. And David answered the priest and said unto him, of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. That's good bread. You can eat it. It's fresh. Go ahead. So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now, in those days, when you were in a temple, it was customary to keep fresh bread on the showbread table at all times so that the people that came in to worship the Lord would have something to eat and that the temple would always be providing something. The temple should be open 24 hours a day, and it always has fresh food laid out to eat. So every day they will trade out this bread two or three times a day, however long it takes for it to start getting stale. And it's considered holy bread because you only eat it when you're worshiping the Lord. You're not supposed to just go in and help yourself. But David was hungry. David is a king, so he has right to eat this holy bread. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doug, an Edomite descended from Esau the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And David said unto Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? Do you not have any weapons in here? You know, because that dude over there looks kind of shifty, and I'd kind of like to be armed right now. 
for I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me on this top-secret king's mission. Because the king's business requires haste. But I could sure use a sword, you know what I'm saying? Catch my drift? You have one? Huh? 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 And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. An ephod is a vest, a vest worn by priests. So they have it on a pedestal so that the priest can take it off and put it on. The sword is wrapped in a cloth laying behind that. If thou wilt take that, take it. For there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. That's a big sword. I'll take it. And Dave arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Akish, the king of Gath. So he's making the rounds. He's trying to find out who his friends are. Networking, as it were. And the servants of Akish said unto him, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David laid up this, these words in his heart, and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath, because he didn't know what he was going to do. They're kind of mocking him, but also kind of acknowledging who he is. <laughs> so David really does not know what's going to go on in a, in a, in this place Gath in, uh, uh, among the king uh, of Akish. Akish, the king of Gath, that's what I meant to say. And he changed his behavior before them, and he feigned himself mad in their hands, and scrambled on the doors of the gate, and let spittle fall down upon his beard. What is he doing? He's acting like a retard. Why? Because he doesn't know what to do, and he's kind of freaked out, and he thinks the best way to handle this situation is to throw everybody off guard by acting a fool. So that's what he's doing. He's doing the curly shuffle, spinning around on the floor, drooling at the mouth so that they think he's crazy. Then said Akish unto his servants, Lo, ye see the man is mad. Wherefore then ye have brought him to me? Why did you bring him here? He's crazy. Look at him. He's doing the curly shuffle. Why'd you bring him here? Have I need of a madman, that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall his fellow come into my house? David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Well, he made enough of a scene that word got around that he was there. But he also made enough of a scene that Akish didn't want to have anything to do with him and sent him away so he didn't get caught. So it's pretty smart on his part. He outbluffed the bluffers, if you know what I mean. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in doubt and everyone that was discomfited, discontented, 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 I said it, gathered themselves unto him and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 500, excuse me, about 400 men. And David went thence to Mizpeh of Moab. And he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. So he's actually taking care of his parents. Jesse and his wife 
are now with the king of Moab at Mizpeh, which is a holy place, which is where they do sacrifices and such, so that they don't get killed by Saul in the rampage. He wants to find out what God's plan is before he lets his parents go home. Smart guy. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart and get thee into the land of Judah. And then David departed and came into the forest of Hereth. When Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men that were with him now Saul abode in Gibeah under the tree in Ramah, which is where Samuel is from, having his spear in his hand and all his servants were standing about him. And then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Here now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? And there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. Nobody told me what Jonathan was up to. Have you all conspired against me? Is he paying you all off with land and vineyards? I think Saul is a little bit paranoid. And there is none of you that is sorry for me or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servants against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then answered Doug, the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, and he gave him victuals, which means food, gave him food, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Oh, you shouldn't have said that. Now Saul's freaking out because David cut Saul, uh, Goliath's head off with that sword. Wonder what he's going to do to to Saul with that sword. As it turns out, nothing, but Saul doesn't realize that. <clears throat> then the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob, 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 that place. And they all came of them to the king. And Saul said, Here now, thou son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. Here I am. That's a very Hebrew way of saying, I'm ready to work. What do you need, boss? I'm ready to go. Abraham said it. David said it. This guy said it. Lots of people have said that phrase. Samuel said it. And Saul said, Here now, thou son of Ahitub. I read that one. And Saul said unto him, Why have ye conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day? To which Ahimelech said, Dude, you're crazy. I gave him a sword, but he went the other way. He didn't say any of that. Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, and who is so faithful among all thy servants as David? Which one of your servants is more faithful than David is? Which one is a better servant? 
because you were after him for no reason. Kind of calling him out. You don't talk to the king that way, by the way. Being a high priest buys you a little, but it don't buy you that much. Which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thine house. Who? Who do you have that is your son-in-law that does everything you ask him to do and is honorable to you? Who is a better servant to you than David? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me. Let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of all of this, less or more. I didn't know anything. I didn't know you were after him. I didn't know he was running from you. How are you going to accuse me of inquiring to God in David's behest to rise up against you when I didn't have a clue what was going on. I'm just a priest. I just do what priests do. If you would have came to me, I would have inquired of God to you. If you'd have asked for a sword, I'd have given you one. David is your faithful and loyal servant. I saw no reason not to help him out, so I did. But I don't know what's going on here. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. Well, that's some fine appreciation for you. Just go ahead and kill the guy for being a good priest. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord. All capital letters. Note to yourself, do not slay priests of the Lord. They're priests of the Lord. Because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord, because they're smart. This is the second time Saul has issued an order that nobody followed. Why? Because he's lost his freaking mind, that's why. And because everybody knows it. Also, everybody knows he's no longer king, he just hasn't given up yet. And the king said to Doug, Turn thou and fall upon the priests. And Doug the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priests and slew on that day four score, that's 20, 40, 60, 80, and five persons that did wear linen ephods, meaning he killed 85 priests in the name of King Saul, appointed by God. Seem right to you? I don't think so. And Nob, the city of priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. Now, ask yourself a question. Should the people of God be killing priests, women and children and sucklings and oxen and asses and sheep? Or should they have done that when God told them to and killed the uh, Amalekites? like God told them to. Remember, this is Saul who paraded the king Amalekite around the city, showing everybody that he had won, that he took all of their sheep and their asses for himself and their gold and their silver for himself to rich enrich his army. But now he's doing it for free to God's priests. There's a little disconnect here. This is why Saul is no longer king because he's gone the exact opposite of what God told him to do. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, 
the son of Ahitub, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. Knowing that David is a much wiser and benevolent king, no less. And Abathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priests. And David said unto Abathar, I knew it that day when Doug, the Edomite, was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasion the death of all the persons of thy father's house. It's my fault, says David. I knew when I saw that guy, he was bad news. I knew I should have got him then, but I was trying to keep the peace, and now it's my fault all those people are dead. It's not his fault, but that's how he feels. <clears throat> Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life, but with me thou shalt be in safeguard. Don't be worried. The guy that's after me is also after you, but I'll protect you because I'm David, and I got it like that. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they robbed their threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. Now imagine that. David is on the run from King Saul's army who's trying to kill him, and while he's running for his life, he's going to go protect some other people from the Philistines and kill them. Imagine that. Is there a required time to read the Bible, asks Fab Daddy. Yes. Whatever occasion, you should find it in your hand. You should read the Bible until you're tired. Because after that, you won't retain any of it anyway. So 25 minutes, 30 minutes is plenty. Hey, Walter Davis, good to see you, buddy. You made it while well, I'm still teaching. Excellent. And David's men said unto him, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we come to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Mm -hmm. So David's men, those ragtag people that he put together, that came to him, that all the distressed people and depressed people and sad people and people with problems that came to David, and he formed an army with them. They're all terrified. They have no idea what's going on in the world. They just know they don't want to die. And now David's about to bring him into a battle to which David knows the answer. God is sending us. That means we've already won the fight. We just got to show up. God will do the fighting. Don't worry about that. But Nonetheless, then David required of the Lord yet again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand, which is exactly what David already knew. The people didn't know that, but David did. Fab Daddy says, I let Jake read for me currently. Well, thank you, Fab Daddy. It's my honor and pleasure to do so, and I hope that it helps, and I hope that my uh, alliterations illuminate you to the meaning of the words. I'm trying. And God bless you. So, David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. 
Cowboys 8 panel. Good to see you, sweetheart. Welcome to the show. Come on in. And it came to pass when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David to Kiev. Sorry, to Kila. I got Ukraine on the mind for some reason. That it came down with an ephod in his hand. There you go. You got your own, you're setting up your own priesthood now. And it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah, and Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. Oh no, David is trapped. Do you think Saul's going to get him? Keep in mind that God just delivered the Philistines into David's hands. He just won that battle and carried away all their cattle. But Saul thinks he's trapped in a city, and he can surround him and kill David inside the city. And Saul called all the people together to war, to go down to Keilah, to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring hither the ephod. And then David said, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant, as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Oh no. So David and his high priest, Abiathar, uh, they're trapped. What's going to happen next? Dana, welcome to the show. Come on in. Then said David, I read that one. Oh, then said David, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver thee up. Not only will Saul come, but the people that you just saved will hand you over because they're scared too. Then David and his men, which are about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah and he forbeared to go forth. In other words, there's no point in going now. David's already left the city. Smart move on David's part, because if he'd have stayed there, he'd have got captured. Because not only was Saul coming, but the people he just saved from the Philistines in terror would turn him over to the king. And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds, or small fortified buildings, and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. So every day, David escaped by the skin of his teeth as Saul was hot on his heels. Saul wasn't about to give up. He's going to get David one way or another. David doesn't want any part of this battle. David has nothing against Saul. He didn't ask for this. He didn't ask to be put in this position. He didn't ask to be king. That was all God's doing. Saul is the one with an attitude and a vengeance for David. David's just trying to survive the night. But in as much as saying so, 
David is also quite the formidable, formidable war man. Could probably beat Saul in a battle, but Saul is his king. And you must understand what it means to be loyal. No matter what Saul does, David is his loyal subject. He is his servant. And David is aware of that. And he honors that. So he's not going to do anything to dishonor or to hurt the king. He would probably let Saul run him through because he's the king, if he catches him. But he doesn't, because God delivers his servant, David, out of his hands. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in the woods. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the woods and strengthened his hand in God. They prayed together. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. And that also Saul my father knoweth. What? Jonathan, the prince, the son of Saul, just told his friend David, you will be king before I will be. I'll be king after you. It turns out it's not going to work out that way, but that's some mighty loyal statement there from Jonathan. That's how much Jonathan loves this man. He will let him be king, rightfully so, before he takes his kingship, because Saul's days are numbered. If Saul dies, Jonathan is rightfully the king. He's the next heir in line. But he's going to give that kingship to David because God ordained it. You can say what you want to say about Jonathan. You can think all kinds of weird stuff about the way he per, uh, approached his friendship with, with David. It doesn't matter if he's lighting the loafers or not. This is a man who loves God. This is a man who loves David. This is a man who is doing the right thing regardless of what his father does or regardless of what his afflictions are. Keep that in mind, people. This is a man God is using. And they too made a covenant before the Lord, a promise to each other. And David abode in the woods, and Jonathan went to his house. Then came up the Ziphites to Saul and Gabeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in strongholds in the woods, in the hills of Hakilah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now, therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of thy soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. Well, these Ziphites are not smart people because they ought to know God is on David's side, and they're not going to get a chance to deliver him up to the king, although they are trying to curry favor with him, because that's what people do when a king is around. They try to get as much as they can out of the king. And Saul said, Blessed be ye of the Lord, for ye have compassion on me. Saul could care less if the Lord blesses him or even if the Lord is real or not. He's just saying what they want to hear. Go, I pray you, prepare yet. And know and see his place where his haunt is, where he's hunkered down at. And who hath seen him there? For it is told me that he dealeth very subtly. 
Well, that's not true. David is just running for his life. He's not doing anything out of the ordinary. He's not being suspicious at all. He's not doing anything untoward towards the king. He's just trying to stay alive. So the king is lying and spreading rumors about David as he speaks. See, therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hideth himself, and come ye again to me with a certainty, and I will go with you. And it shall come to pass, if he be in the land, that I will search him out. Throughout all the thousands of Judah, I will find my guy. I'll search every outhouse, barn, liquor store, and town. I had a fugitive thing going, but I forgot what he said. And they rose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Moan, or Maon, sorry, in the plain of the south of Jeshimon. Saul also and his men went to seek him, and they told David, wherefore he came down into a rock, or into a rocky escarpment, and abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on the side of the mountain, and David and his men on that side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul. For Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them. They're going round and round the mountain trying to find him. And David's running round and round the mountain trying to get away from him. Mm. Imagine that. But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee, and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Saul is busy. He doesn't care about the Philistines invading the land. He wants David. He don't care about the Philistines. What do you mean, haste thee and come? I'm not interested in your problems. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David, and he went against the Philistines. Therefore they called the place You say that word. I dare you. Sila Ama Hakalath. Or Halekath. Sila Hama Halekath. Okay. I'll get I'll, I'll go with that. And David went up from thence and dwelt in his strongholds in Indige. Or in Ingde. Man, these words are killing me. And it came to pass, when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took three thousand chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepcoats, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went into the cover to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. Now, try to picture this. David has ran right into this cave to hide from Saul. And Saul is coming up fast behind him, and he spots the cave, and he goes in to take a break and rest his feet in the shade of the cave, not knowing that David is inside the cave that he's in. So David and his men are way back in the back of the cave, hiding in the shadows, and Saul, the man who was trying to kill him, is at the foot of the cave, resting his feet. And while there, let's see what happens. 
And the men and David, the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as if, as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose, and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. All right. Let me set the scene for you. David and his men are hunkered in the back of this cave, and one of his men whispers to him and says, Hey, the Lord has delivered your enemy into your hands. He's over there sleeping. You can go kill him right now, and we can be done with this. We can get out of here. We can stop running for our lives. There he is by himself in a cave. Go kill him. David, on the other hand, is the servant of the king. Whether he's trying to kill him or not, he is a loyal, faithful servant. He is a man after God's own heart. He doesn't want to kill Saul. He has no desire for Saul's death. You understand? So instead, he decides upon himself to make a gesture, to prove to Saul that he's no threat to Saul, that Saul is wasting his time trying to kill him. So he tiptoes out of the cave towards Saul. And then secretly he bends down and cuts off a piece of his robe and then goes back and hides. Saul is none the wiser. He has no idea David did that. He has no idea David's even in that cave. He's there with his eyes closed and his feet propped up. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. It broke David's heart to cut his robe, the king. He respects this man. He follows this man. And to him, he has just betrayed the king by cutting his damn robe. That's how good of a man David is. And that's where we're going to stop for today, ladies and gentlemen. We'll pick up Sunday. Next Sunday, chapter 24, verse 6. Man, what a fantastic read this was tonight. I hope it touched your heart. I hope it caused you to think. I hope it brings you ever closer to your father and causes you to reach out with both hands and try to get to know who your father is. Try to get to know what he expects of you. Try to get to know why you're here on this planet. And that relationship will pay dividends under your soul. And as you ponder that, will you please take a moment and hit that subscribe button and press the bell icon so you get notifications of when I'm going to be online. Smash the like button. It's right below you. It's free. It's effortless. And it really does help the channel with the algorithms. Helps us get recommended to other people. So once you do that, please share this video with somebody you love. Better yet, share it with somebody you don't love. Bring them into the family. Make them part of the fold. Be part of their solutions, not part of their problems. Leave comments down below and let me know what you're thinking about. Question me, curse me, bless me, challenge me, confront me, conform with me, drink my Kool-Aid, make your own Kool-Aid as long as you're thinking Chris. Critical, that's what I want. Critical thought coming from that brain of yours. And hey, if you love the Word of God and you can see the value in what I'm trying to build here and you'd like to help out, if you'd like to contribute or if you feel led to send your tithes, offerings, or love offerings to our little ministry here, or if you'd just like to pat me on the back and say, hey, nice job, Jake. I see what you're doing. You can do that. You can support my work by going to paypal.me slash Band. Or if you're a Cash App user, you can go to dollar sign Jake Johnson Band. Every little bit helps. It's a win-win. 
It's a blessing to me. It's a blessing to you, too, because God notices these things. And now I will do everything in my power to be worthy of your support and give you exactly what you want and answer all of your questions and comments. Hey, what do you think? Did you like to read? Did you learn anything? Do you feel enlightened? Do you feel like your brain is turning to mayonnaise? You tell me what's going on inside of that head of yours. Questions, comments, criticisms, catharsis, anything you got, I'll take it and I'll answer it. Let's see what we missed in the chat. Is there a required time to read the Bible? Yes, whenever you feel like reading the Bible. Walter says, Fab, anytime you got time, I keep one at home and one in my truck for when I got a minute during the day. Amen, Walter. Amanda says, nope, there isn't, Fab Daddy. Whenever you feel like reading it, that's when you read it. It's good for you. Fab Daddy says, well, I'll let Jake currently read for me. I'll do that gladly for you, sir. And anybody else who wants to hear and wants to listen, I'll be your man. I'll be your huckleberry. Cowboys 8 panel says, Amanda says, yeah, Jake does good. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate that. I try. Walter says, if you're having a rough day and violence seems in order, it is a great time to read a verse or two. Yeah, if you feel like knocking somebody upside the head, I'd say get in the Bible. That'll help you soothe that savage beast. Walter says, hey, cowboy. Dana says, greetings all. Welcome, Dana. Greetings back to you. Fab Daddy says, violence is a mental state of rage. A strong man has control of his courage. Ah, but we're not always strong, are we? Sometimes things weaken us. Walter says, hi, Dana. Amanda says, hi, Dana. Well said, Fab. Walter says, Fab, I have more control than anyone, but a few know. You just calm your little self down, buddy. Just calm right down. Dana says, Walter Davis, Amanda, Cowboys 8 Pound, Fab Daddy 44, ATL, heart. What, I don't get a heart? You ain't got no heart for me? Your loyal and faithful pastor? I'm just teasing you. Walter says, because I take a break and read a few verses, no one sees what could be. That is true. Fab Daddy says, I have acted in my youth wrongly with emotions of rage. Haven't we all, buddy? Haven't we all? And learned from them. Haven't we all? I have more patience with age. Don't we all? Way to go, Fab, says Amanda. Dana says, David doesn't go against Saul because God anointed Saul to be the king. Good move. Correct. And David respects that anointment. Even though he himself has been anointed to replace Saul, David feels like when God's ready for that to happen, it'll happen. I'm not going to be the cause of it. I'm not going to kill the king. I'm not going to go against the king. Nobody's ever going to say that I was a bad servant. That's what you should do. Have loyalty, have faith, and have honor for your almighty God, for your king. Simple as that. On a smaller scale, you can have those feelings for your husband, or your friend, or your father, or your local senator, or whatever it is, whoever's in the, in the charge position. You should be a loyal and faithful and honorable servant, because that's what you were put here to do. 
no matter who you are, male or female, doesn't matter. Fab Daddy says, mortality is just around the corner. Either you believe in Jesus or you don't. I do, but never needed to read the Bible to know he died for us all. Amen, brother. And you don't have to read the Bible. Not once. You can go to heaven having never read the Bible because the Ten Commandments, the stuff that's important, is written on your heart. You ever notice that when a baby steals a cookie and you catch them, they cry? And then they'll lie to you sometimes? Why do you think that is? You never explained the intricacies of property ownership or the value of the dollar or theft. You never told your child those things, yet they know that they stole something and it was wrong. They feel shame because in their heart, thou shalt not steal is written. Same thing if you kill somebody. You know you did wrong. You won't be able to wipe it off of your face. You'll know you were wrong. That's why we have a conscious. Our conscience gets to us because we know right from wrong. You don't have to read the Bible to be good. You do have to read the Bible to understand the intricacies of history and of the plan of God and of the key of David and of the message of Christ and all of that stuff and revelations, what's coming down the line. You need to read the Bible to know those things, but you don't need to read the Bible to be good. My nose is itching for some reason. I think somebody's going to stick a dollar in my nostrils. Hmm. Walter Davis says, he ain't light in the loafers. He might kneel, but he never bent over. I didn't say he was. The Bible did. But you can interpret that in different ways. His father definitely thinks he is because he calls him out in front of God and everybody and basically says that to him. Now, whether or not Jonathan actually is gay, that's up to interpretation. I don't know. I have no idea. I would assume that by the way that the scripture is written, that Jonathan loves David like a brother, that he's expecting their children to grow up together and be family. But that's not the way Saul is seeing it. Saul sees his son as there's something wrong with him. He's put way too much stock in this other man. I don't know why my nose is itching so much. Stop it. <clears throat> but he clearly thought that's what was going on, or at least he said that, whether he thought it or not. He was definitely trying to hurt Jonathan by what he said in front of all the people. Dana says, Jonathan was a man of character. King Saul lost his integrity, honor, and dignity. Amen, sister. And Jonathan proved that right up until his death, that he was an honorable man and that he did love David. Now, you can look at that however you want. Love is love. Brotherly love is especially strong especially in those days, and that's the way I interpret it. But I can't not point it out because it's clearly there that somebody is thinking that Jonathan is lighting the loafers. Fab Daddy says, what if we only taught, what if we were only taught that Jesus died for our sins, and if you believe, you are going to heaven? Well, if you're taught that, you were taught the correct thing because that's the only prerequisite in the Bible for you to go to heaven. 
John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish and have everlasting life. There is no other requirement. Belief in Christ is it. You have to believe he died for your sins. You have to know that in your soul. If you know that, you will go to heaven. That's not to say you won't get judged once you're there, but you will go to heaven. Walter says, Fab, that's all most people know. Ignorance is bliss. Fab Daddy says, what, right? It's nice, Walter. I don't suffer from that particular affliction, but I envy those who do. Walter says, it's what led up to Jesus and his teachings that save. That's right. Cowboys 8 panel says, thank you, I must go. Oh, come on. You just got here, and you already... I didn't leave when you got here. Fab Daddy says, KISS method. That means keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> keep it simple, silly. Okay, I'll go with that. Walter says, Good night, Cowboys 8 panel. Round pen for breaking horses. Dana says, Privily equals secretly. Yes, it does. Or secret thing, secret place, secret something, something secret. I lost my, my chat, jumped. I got to find it again. I found it. Okay. Walter says, Fab, do you realize that if you considered yourself saved, you still have pretty good chance of burning in hell it's not anything you believe or do but only by God's generous forgiveness I kind of disagree I kind of agree um, hell does not exist not in the way that we think of it the word hell is used a few times in the Bible, but it's translated from one of two words, the grave or Gehenna, which is a trash heap outside of Jerusalem where they throw trash and it burns all year round. And that's where their waste goes and the worms crawl in and out and it's always on fire. Both of which are metaphors for what comes after death, after judgment. Now in Revelations, speaks of the lake of fire that God opens up and throws Satan and his followers into. That's hell. That's the real hell. And yes, if you are not a follower of Christ, you stand a strong chance of going there. Here's the thing, though. Christ was put here. That's the caveat. That's the thing that keeps you from going to hell. As a person born into this world, you are doomed to hell, period. However, Christ exists, and he covers as the sacrifice all sins, all of them. So you've already been bought and paid for. There's no chance of you going to hell from that point. Now, from that point, you can make a decision to follow God or to follow Satan. That's why you're here in the first place. Christ's death gives you that right to make that choice. 
And if you make that choice and follow Satan or do Satan's bidding, you absolutely are going to go to hell. Burn up in the lake of fire at the end of all things at the white throne judgment. The guy with the red long handles and the pitchfork and the horns, that's not real. That's Hollywood. So don't people use hell to fill pews with fear. I don't do that. That's not what the Bible says. But you are on the right path. You're just looking at it kind of wrong. Dana says, David took the piece of Saul's garment as a token to prove to him that he is not his enemy. Saul never believed this, correct? I believe I said as much. Amanda says, good read, Jake. I enjoyed it. Thank you, sweetheart. I enjoyed it, too. April, what's up? Welcome. Are you enjoying your uh, your anniversary? I hope so. Hello, y'all. Just came by to say hi, and I love y'all. Well, we love you, too, April, and thank you, and enjoy your night. Happy anniversary. From all of us here at Untethered Live, Amanda says, hi, April. Walter says, good job, Jake. You do a great study. Thank you, Walter. I love you, buddy. You keep hanging in there. You're on the right track. Dana says, hi, April. Heart, flower, flower. Fab Daddy says, I will let him catch up. I'm working on it. April says, how is everyone tonight? Hello, Amanda, love. How are you? Hope. Hope. Walter says, hi, April. Amanda says, I'm awesome, April. Thanks for asking. How are you? Kevin says, hey, what's up, Kev? Good to see you, buddy. April says, hope all is doing great. Much love, Dana, Walter, Fab Daddy. Amanda says, hi, Kevin. April says, and Cowboy, much love. Amanda says, mm-mm. Walter says, hey, Kevin. April says, I'm doing good, Kevin, and I are out eating dinner, and it's our nine-year anniversary. That's a long time to pick up anybody's drawers, ain't it? Dana says, I do have a special heart for you, Jake. Dana, I love you. That's so sweet. Thank you. Amanda says, I heard happy anniversary. Enjoy. Walter says, that's awesome, April and Kevin. Everybody give them a round of applause. They made it nine years. One day I'm going to marry them. April says, I'll rewatch later, Jake. I promise. Thanks, Walter. Love you. Will you enjoy your night? And we'll be here when you get ready to watch. We got ourselves a genuine, certified, bona fide, USDA approved, 100% accurate sports update from Kevin Cox. The NL East Baltimore Orgasmos up on Devil Egg Rays by three games. Behind the Devil Egg Rays are the Toronto Bluebirds, the Boston Inbred Sox, and the last in New York Skankies. Go Devil Egg Rays! That's lovely. Back to you, Bob. Whew. April says, Thanks, Amanda. Much love, hon. Hey, Jake, give Amanda my phone number, okay? I'm getting out of here now. My food is here. Will do. I'll make sure she has it. Thank you. April says, I love you all. May God bless. See us. Toodles. Walter says, That position on respect your leader is why Christians don't shoot politicians regardless of how evil they are. You might be onto something there, buddy. 
April says, <clears throat> Freaky big-eyed spazzy heart. Walter Davis says, You know that song, Jake? Bob, by Drive-By Truckers? I don't think I do. But I'll look it up. I like Drive-By Truckers. I've heard them before. Walter Davis says, Good night, April. God bless you and Kevin. Aw. Walter says, Hell is the absolute absence of God's love and light. As bad as things are, that's got to suck more. Well, it is true that the absence of God is hell. That is true. Any hell that I could imagine, I wouldn't want to be in the absence of God's light. And I know you don't either. Walter says, he says he will split you out like he, he will spit you out like he never knew you. Going to be a bad time. Yes, you'll come up and say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I never knew you. But to others, he'll say, my loyal and faithful son, welcome home. Walter says, I'll go to that wedding. It'll be a shotgun wedding, too, because I'll be armed to the teeth. Kevin tries to run, I'll shoot him right in the tail. Mess with my cousin, I'll get your ass. Fat Daddy says, I like arguing with Walter. Just kidding. I fear for my life. <laughs> Fat Daddy says, sorry, Walter, and I appreciate your words and opinions. Fat Daddy says, Wednesday, I will be on a boat. Sorry if I miss live. Well, you can film it, can't you? Send me a, a postcard, video postcard, and we'll post it on the show. Let everybody know how lavish your life is. Walter says, Fab, I love your point of view. Out on a boat, says Fab Daddy, and I think we're caught up. That's the end of the chat. That's it. I got it. I made it. Anybody got anything else? Any words of wisdom? Any love to share? Any thoughts? Any ideas? Any criticisms? I'll take it. While I smoke upon this cigarette and ponder the words that I spoke tonight, very nice. Sometimes I gotta rewatch the video to see what I even said. I don't even know. It ain't me doing the talking anyway. Fab Daddy says, good job. Thank you, sir. Good job to you, too. You're one heck of a listener. I appreciate you. It means a lot that you're here. I love each and every one of you. You all make this worth doing. You make it fun for me, and I appreciate that. Dana says, I disagree with the teaching Absence of God in hell is the worst biblical verse below. Hmm. You wait a minute. Let me see if I get this right. I disagree with the teaching the absence of God is hell. Biblical verse below. Revelations fourteen. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation and he shall be and he shall be tormented with it with fire and brimstone with the presence of the holy angels and in the air the presence of the lamb well you are correct but that is a different thing than finding yourself in the absence of god that's also a different thing than, quote, unquote, going to hell. What's being referred to there is judgment. 
That's where God judges mankind for all that they've done, good and bad, in Revelations. And that judgment is coming. It has not happened yet for some. It has happened already. Some people have already been judged. Saul is about to be judged. The old gods have already been judged, as mentioned in Psalms, where he said, I made you like gods among men, but now you will die like those men. I'm paraphrasing. I can't remember the exact verse, but that's a judgment from God. So those old gods have already been judged. They don't exist anymore. They've already died. However, we as people have to live here on this earth until we die. And when we die, in a blink of an eye, we'll be standing before God at the white throne judgment because time will have no meaning after our deaths until we're called into the presence of God, however long that may be. And I'll give you a hint. You're going to be dead a whole lot longer than you've ever been alive whole lot longer. But when that judgment occurs, you will either be accepted into the grace of God or his wrath will be poured out upon you with great indignation. And before that, while you're still alive, you'll have to go through the tribulation. The tribulation is where God tests his people. And that is also one of the cups of wrath that God pours out when Christ was in the garden praying. And he said, nevertheless, thy will be done. But if there's any way that we can avoid this cup, then let's avoid it. But if it's your will, then let's do it. He was not praying for his own safety. He was saying, if there's any way to avoid pouring out the cup of wrath on the people, then let's avoid it. Nevertheless, your will be done. It's a little bit of a misnomer. Some people think that Christ was trying to get out of being crucified by asking God if there's any way out of this, let's take it. That's not what he was doing. He was saying if there's any way to get out of your wrath being poured on the people, let's do it. Christ knew full well why he needed to be crucified, and he was willing participant. We'll get into all that when we get into the Gospels and then, then, then later into Revelations. But for right now, it's a good idea to kind of stick where we are so that we understand what's happening as we go. That being said, you are not off the mark, Dana. Kevin Cox says, hey, Fab Daddy Nachos, pizza and beer and now a brownie ice cream. And that was just what April ate. That's terrible. And Walter says, I said I'm not as bad as those guys. I always paid my union dues and I don't stay on the passing lane. The devil said, what about the whiskey and all the cocaine? And I said, yeah. That sounds like a song. I like it. Dana says, fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb yes well obviously because the presence of the lamb is with god that's where he is that's his job he's at the right hand of god so when when the the tribulation occurs and when the white throne judgment occurs christ will be there cowboys eight panel says hi dana says first thessalonians 5 9 for god hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's also talking about a different thing. That's talking about your salvation. Take in context the rest of Thessalonians and who's talking and who he's talking to. That's Paul talking to priests who run churches that he set up, and they're not teaching the right things to the people. They're going after traditions of men. They're going after false teachings. And Paul is saying, you're doing a good job, but you need to tighten up. Don't be foolish and teach foolish things. Don't teach our children to fly to save our souls. All that's happening in Thessalonians 1 and 2. And that's what he's doing. He's instructing the priests on what they should be teaching the people. And he's telling them, don't teach hellfire and brimstone. Teach the salvation of Christ. Hellfire and brimstone will fill pews because it scares the crap out of people, but it's not biblical. What's biblical is that Christ died to save your soul. You can't fly away. If there's two in the field and one is taken away, you want to be the one left working in the field. Everything Christ ever said was about doing the work. It was all metaphor for farming and for running vineyards and for plowing fields and doing the job at hand. You do not want to fly away because that would be the Antichrist deceiving you. I hope that helps. Walter says, conversations with the devil. Okay. (laughs) That was Paul preaching to the people of the Thessalonica. Correct. You got it, Dana. You got what's up. You know know what you're talking about. I'm not telling you nothing. I'm just reiterating for the people that are listening because not everybody knows all the stuff we're talking about. Now they do, though. So thank you for bringing it up. All right, boys and girls, we've reached the top of the hour. Anybody got any last words? Now is the time. Now is the time to get it in. Right under the radar, right before I go to bed, because I got to get up early in the morning and, you know, toil away at my second job. By the way, for a very nice study, it's good to read Thessalonians 1 and 2 and all of Paul's writings for that matter. All of the letters sent to all the churches to get an understanding of what the teachers were teaching, that Paul was setting up these churches. He was literally going from coast to coast, from city to city, setting up churches. That was his latter part of his life. That's what he did, build churches, not the buildings, but he would set up a priest and tell them what to teach and spread forth the teachings of Christ. And so he would write letters every year to these places, even from prison at at some point, and uh, keep them up to speed on what they should be teaching and correct them in their mistakes. So it's a really good thing, especially for teachers, to read those letters to understand what they're supposed to be focusing on, to understand where their minds are supposed to be at, rather than on the things of the world today like some of the churches are doing. And all that being said, you can go to hell straight from the pulpit. If you listen to a false teacher or a bad teacher— He can corrupt your mind and cause you to stumble in your search for God. Only listen to those people that put God first. Only listen to those people that will tell you only what the Bible says and nothing more. It does not matter in the slightest bit what any man has to say. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. I'll tell you, but it doesn't matter. What matters is the words of God. 
Only trust those. Only listen to those. Let me guide you, but you look for yourself. And if it don't square with what the Bible says, then you let it go. You don't listen to it. Not from me, not from anybody else. That's how you know a real teacher from God. Dana says, much love. Thank you. Much love back to you. Walter says, it is really hard trying to follow on the ways of Jesus. Just saying, I'm saved is pretty easy. Yeah. Well, if you want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, you must first come to terms with the fact that he ended that step with being nailed to a cross. And if you don't want to have that happen to you, then you really don't want to walk in his footsteps because that's where it leads. Christ does not expect you to be perfect. He only expects you to try to be perfect, to try for righteousness, to try for goodness. You were already born a sinner. You, you were lost before you ever came into this world. There's nothing you can do about that. All you can do is keep your eyes fixed on heaven and your footsteps in the direction of God. And if you do that, you'll be just fine. Walter says, you got to listen to conversations with the devil. Ray Wiley Hubbard really explains it all. I'm sure it's a great song, and I will listen to it. Dana says, Ephesians 2.8, For by the grace are ye saved through faith, and that not, your, not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Yes, grace is the gift of God. And his grace is Christ. And through Christ, you are saved. And it says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Another way to say that is that it takes more than just faith. You have to work. You have to do the job. But you shouldn't run around boasting about how pious you are. In fact, you shouldn't even pray in front of people. You should get in your closet and hide and pray in private. Because this is a conversation between you and God. It has nothing to do with other people. Praying out loud only tends to make people think how pious and close to God you are. And that's boasting you up, not boasting God up. You put God up on the pedestal, not yourself. So, yeah. All right. That's it. I love you guys with all my heart. I do. I love you true. Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to do it again. I'll see you on Wednesday where we'll let our hair down and have a little bit of fun. Maybe play a little guitar. Maybe do a little singing. Maybe do a little karaoke. Who knows? We'll get freaky. I'll break out the jumper cables and the motor oil, and we'll see what happens. But until then, have a great night. God bless you all. May God's peace find you and your family. May his love abound in your lives, and may all your dreams come true, and may all your prayers be blessed. Have a great night. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for watching.